Hello, I'm Seth. And I'm Pete. And we are track walking. Uh, today we're doing a show without Scott because he's fixing all the things uh, in preparation for one lap. In that same time frame, Pete and I are sad because we're not going on one lap, and Pete is ruining his fit. And we need to talk about those things. So how are you doing, Pete? I'm doing good. How are you, Seth? Ah, uh, good. I'm sad that we're not going on one lap. That makes me genuinely, genuinely sad. Yeah, me too. Um, my situation is even a little bit sadder than yours um, because unlike you has been planning to not go on this one lap since it was a 2021 lap, I was planning to go on that one lap and then I was planning to go on this one lap and then my co-driver and I a couple months ago basically said – I called him up and I'm like, so I think I can make this financially work but maybe it's not the year and maybe we should wait or I should wait and he was like, okay. And so he went off, and he got other co-drivers, and that's uh, Eric Collins, and he's with the Volkswagen guys. And so, you know, and then I sold Hazmat, which we'll get back into. But, yeah, so it's a sad day for me because I'm not going on one lap, and I had the opportunity, and but, yeah, we're not going. I'm, yeah. I'm bummed, but eventually you have to realize that, yeah, sometimes you got to make the adult choices. Yeah, and you're doing better at adult choices, by the way. But especially <laughs> this year, there was, there was definitely – there was a lot of hesitation in people. I mean, it seemed like you were in one of two camps. You were either like, I'm going no matter what, or I need those pieces to fall into place. And so many, it's bas basically things have been waitlisted since last year's entry. So you basically entered for 2020 and then you had to have all the pieces in place to go in 2021. And even in the best of years, entering an event, whatever, eight months, nine months before you're going to go, and then having everything work is difficult, but entering it well over a year before you're going to go is hard. So, oh, yeah. Uh, and they burned through. I mean, we had at one point, I think last year or earlier this year, we were up to like a 60 car wait list for one lap this year, and they've burned through it. They have officially, right. as far as I'm aware, they've officially cleared out the wait list completely. Yeah. So, you know, it's which is just crazy because they like the fact that we had that wait list at all for one lap. I mean, you know, you and I mean, I, mean, I remember 2019, we signed up, um, I don't know, a couple of weeks in, you and Tim got signed up, and then you're like, hey, Pete, you want to come along for the stupidity of this adventure? And I'm like, absolutely. Um, right. And then last year, you know, we were what, 24 hours, 48 hours in, and it was like, and it's sold out. And we we're all like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> Because we yeah, all got caught a, napping. So. A victim of its own popularity. So I hope this year goes really well. And uh, this is, I, I think this show is going to air right after one lap gets done. So uh, at okay. that point, hopefully everybody's had a an uneventful event and it's been awesome and, and those things are good. So uh, moving on from being sad, um, you have a fit that is that was literally an old man car. Yeah, um, so, well, kind of, um, but well, yeah, I mean, so I have... Your dad owned it. Like, like if my kids talked about my cars, they'd talk about them as an old man car, because that's just, like, by definition, so... Yeah, I mean, so it was an old man car, but the thing to remember as well is, I learned to drive on this car as well. So All that's right. part of why this fit is so special to me. So, um, and uh, for those who don't know, I, I have, uh, as of last summer... Um, we'll, we'll come back into how I got this fit back in my possession, but I picked up a tooth cause there's a st great story there. 
Um, but I have a 2008 Honda Fit base model. Um, and uh, it has done Road America and NOLA in the last fall on totally stock suspension with some brakes. Um, actually, NOLA didn't even have brakes. It's street pads. Um, <laughs> That's okay. And, You've uh, only got that enormous straightaway to break at the end of it. It'll be fine. Exactly. Um, but the uh, So I have the 2008 Honda Fit base, which I'm building for uh, Sunday Cup. And so ba- and by building, now that it has coilovers on, it's basically done. So, because I have coilovers, and then I got some cheap wheels and tires last summer from a guy on GRM Forum who was like, come take these lightweight wheels away from me. They're re- I'll sell them to you cheap. And he said my favorite word, cheap. And yeah, so we cut a deal, and cheap is good. So, yeah, so, but this car, uh, my parents bought it brand new in August of 2008. Bought it straight off the Honda lot. Gas was, you know, four four and a quarter for regular four four and a quarter for regular gas at the time you know and it's a vivid blue pearl which is my favorite color for the honda fit and it just happened to be the one they had on the lot Um, those were actually hard to buy in 2008 because honda wasn't selling a ton of them so they didn't have a bunch of them in country and then gas got expensive and everybody bought them Correct. And that's and that's the thing. I made the joke to my dad about, man, it's too bad. We, you know, we didn't get the darn sport. He goes, do you realize how long we probably would have had to wait to get a sport? He's like, that was the only fit they'd had. And it had come in like the day before. He's like, we had been waiting for a call from a salesperson, I guess, for one to show up. So wow. and they didn't. And so me being a car nut and being way nosing up in their business, um, he, uh, you know, they didn't tell me. When they went, funny enough, I worked at an automotive shop when they went to go buy it, and uh, they, um, they, you they would, didn't tell you would, me. Yeah, you would have been super annoying. Exactly. You would have been super annoying. You would have driven them insane. So. so they went and bought it, and they show back up. I'm like, where? I got home from work this, you know, this day, <laughs> and I'm like, where are you guys? They're like, we're out. We're, 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 we're doing things. We'll be back later. Um. Did you think fits were cool at the time? I did. So I actually helped them pick that car. Okay. So, yeah. That's so kinda... I helped them pick that car. Um, and so I helped them pick the car. And then uh, from there, we made it, you know, they we, we, you know, we were trying to figure out what should we buy. Like, I think we looked at the protege, like a used protege five. And some other things, but basically it came down to my top pick was the fit because it was small. I had been reading the car and driver stuff about it at the time to talk about how nimble the handling was. And my dad likes small peppy cars. Um, my dad's always been a small manual transmission car person. Uh, my dad is as old OG Honda guy as it gets. Um, and they're like, well, when do you, and everybody's like, oh yeah, my dad started getting into Hondas in the 80s too. No, my dad got into Hondas in the 70s. His first car, or cars, I should say, is he had two 1972 Honda N600s. Holy cow. I didn't know that. Yeah, so he had two of them, and they were, so those were, it was a basically a motorcycle motor, 600cc, and right. the transmission was, uh, you know, was a part of the, uh, you know, it was all built together as one, and, the, you know, the cylinder, you know, the cylinder wall slid on, and it was air-cooled, and it had a chain, you know, it had a timing chain. Um, which I actually got him to tell me, he actually told me a story last summer when I was telling him about, uh, timing a car. Um, 
and to working on the Civic when we did the head gas, when I did the head gasket on Hazmat last year, he was telling me about how, you know, in the 80s or late 70s, he had, uh, he actually, yeah, it was late 70s, he had uh, had one of the timing chains snap. And so he had to go find another one. So this is pre-internet, everything. You know, Honda didn't even have a huge dealer network at the time. So my right. dad is from, you know, up in uh, northern Massachusetts, north, uh, north of Worcester, Massachusetts, you know, so not the middle of nowhere, but also not like, you know, some bustling metropolis either. So he had to go, I think, up to Nashua, New Hampshire was the closest Honda dealer, like, you know, 50, 80 miles away, you know, which doesn't sound like a ton necessarily to you or I, because who will drive across the city of Houston? But I mean, it was a thing. He was driving, he was driving a Honda N600, like 80 miles is, is a trip. Yep. So... <laughs> Um, and his, uh, his days with those came to an end when he rolled one coming over a hill in Massachusetts, coming back from college in upstate New York. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So he's, so he's got some funny stories about those, but yeah, so I bought the fit from him coming back to us, you know, getting back on track. Uh, I bought the fit from him last summer, um, cause I'd been wanting to do Sunday cup since 2018. I got to ride along with Matt or something. I got to, I got to ride along with Adam Jabay driving in Matt Williams Honda fit, um, okay. at grid life, uh, festival in 2018. Um, so he is, so that was my opportunity to kind of get an idea for what a fit really could be. And I was like, like I knew they were good, but like Matt's car was very, very, you know, was super neutral, uh, and it was rotating, and Adam, you know, was able to catch it, and it was just, I was really, really impressed with number one how Adam drove, but number two just how the car was, you know, it was because it was not only was it, you know the rear end was coming around, it was wet that year, um, but it was super easy for Adam to catch, um, and just a genuinely fun little slow car. So I was like, all right, I want one of these, and so it had been on my back yeah, burner. So you've had, I don't want to say you've had some quick cars but you've driven a bunch of quick cars and the idea that that you purposely chose i want to say the slowest track car you can get because we could find a slower track car but um like why did <laughs> other than the fact they're good and you and i both know they're good and we love fits like if you're gonna go choose to do something choosing to do sunday cup on its on its face sounds dumb like purposely choosing the the slowest weirdest little thing to do as a track car sounds like the antithesis of tracking cars in general mm -hmm. yeah no um agreed so the um so the reason why i chose to go with the fit is i realized um so hazmat the civic which actually we I, you and i went and picked up Two years ago today, down in Freeport, Texas, you know, and um, we, uh, I realized with Hazmat that that 200 horsepower front-wheel drive, you know, Civic Si 8th Gen, um, I was like, this is a ton of fun. This is a great track car. Um, but after I popped the motor last year, um, which was my own fault, I didn't catch a coolant leak from the uh, coolant neck on the backside of the water pump. Um, and then the thing got run, I got ran low, and I was trying to catch it, and get it turned off and it just it was done at that point yeah. so um and so i realized with that car and then at the time last year you also sold me ronald the crappy miata and i really yeah. realized that i liked ronald the crappy miata i liked those you know i liked i didn't mind slower cars um and i realized that with the what i really wanted to do is i wanted to go get to the track and i wanted to 
uh, be able to go drive. And I realized that going to Sunday Cup was going to be the path to doing that. And so I was originally last year looking at, um, you know, I had hazmat and I was debating on putting hazmat back together or not. Um, but then when I blew up hazmat, I was like, well, I'll set it off to the side. And I started plotting uh, earlier last year. I started plotting a Sunday Cup build of an EK EG sedan. Thought being was the right power to weight ratio, but it had double wishbones. Um, and they're in every junkyard in Texas has an EG sedan in it. So body parts are easily available. Suspension hard parts are easily available, you know, are easy to get, um, which is my number one thing I was thinking about. Um, and then when I got hit by the semi last, uh, when I got sideswiped by the semi last July, um, I, my parents said, come stay with us for a bit while you figure out the insurance stuff. And at the time, my dad was like, well, rather than you buying something else, why don't you come take the fit off me finally? And I was like, okay, yeah, I think the time is right. Let's do it. So Yeah, two, uh, shows, two shows prior to this in the, the, the show that Scott did at NCM with everybody, there was a lot of chatter about sort of, sort of removing the obstacles to driving. And there's, in a lot of ways, the fit is one of those ultimate remove the obstacles to driving cars. Because they're they tend to be reliable as a stone, and there's, I mean, you can you can do dumb things to to make them faster, but most of those are really dumb. So, most of driving a fit is like showing up with a fit that has good brake pads on it, and you're yep. like ninety eight percent of the way there. So you've you've all of a sudden removed, essentially all of the car related obstacles, to getting on track. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the beautiful thing about Sunday Cup is it's competitive. And, and you, if you look at the Sunday Cup cars, they're, you know, they've got good suspension. They're built. But I really think you could show up with a, sun, with a fit with brake pads on it and play with the Sunday Cup guys, and it's fine. You're in, a, you're in a good place, and you can hang out and drive with the low, like, like a very low emotional cost of entry, if nothing else. Yeah, and I think you're totally on point there. I mean, case in point, our buddy uh, Bob did that at NCM last week. Um, Just, you know, his he did the same thing I did last summer, which was bolt-on brake pads, make sure the car was, you know, in good condition, you know, like make sure there's nothing loose, and he went and showed up, you know, old shocks, whatever, um, and, you know, went off and off we went. So, yeah, I mean, and that was what was appealing, you know, for me – I went and drove, you know, I mad rushed, got the, you know, went through the fit because the brakes were old, you know, and I didn't replace calipers ahead of Road America, but I should have. Um, and it turns out, and then I, we, Dil, uh, Dalen managed to help me kill the master cylinder and grid at Road America, <laughs> which was, you know, which I then drove on a bad master cylinder, which was the probably one of the worst ideas of my life. Um, but I did it. And then, um, and, uh, but so I, you know, so I've been going through the car ever since, you know, it's gotten new calipers. Um, obviously it had new rotors and pads, track pads ahead of Road America, but it's gotten, you know, the, the brake fluid's been flushed multiple times. Uh, and then this past week I finally got the Taylor, the BC racing, uh, digressive, the DS series shocks installed. Um, and those actually came from, 
they were uh, specially specced by tailored chassis solutions. They the, TCS actually gives a set of specs to BC, and then they build them to their specs. They're not actually an off-the-shelf digressive. Um, okay. Seamus also cut me, you know, also did a, you know, does a, you know, right at retail price. So, you know, compared to buying from BC, you get them for, you know, you'll get them actually maybe possibly for a hair cheaper than buying them from BC, but they're actually built to Seamus's spec instead of BC's. And I'm really impressed with how they drive on the street. You know, uh, my setup is a 12K spring all the way around, you know, so it's 670, you know, pound per inch spring, which is very, very firm. But, you know, besides like the largest bumps, you know, it really doesn't upset the car. You know, and I was gonna say, large bumps at what upset point, the car anyway. Yeah, fits are like that. The short wheelbase thing. There, as much as I love fits, there. Um, we took my daughter's fit on a on an almost two month road trip from Texas to Key West to Maine and then to Michigan, and like seventy five to eighty miles an hour. The fit is not the world's best road trip car. Um, so yeah, I was gonna no. ask you, like, at what point do you decide you've ruined it? Because everybody ruined, like, that's what we do is we, we take cars that are good and then we make them into track cars and we ruin them. That's sort of like the MO of all track guys. But you and I definitely do that. Yeah, I mean, I would say we're, we're on, like, if my parents came to visit today, um, the I would say that we're basically at the point where they might find it uncomfortable a little bit. But, like, you know, they might... But it's not like I wouldn't drive them around in the car, especially in the current rental car market that we're in. They came and visited at the beginning of the month, and there weren't rental cars. There was no rental cars to be had. So we, you know, and so they had been planning to use the fit anyway, but it was a blessing um, that I had the fit here because they planned to come last year. And I was like, well, you have to rent a car because all I've got is a Miata and a broken Civic. And those don't fit three people. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say it won't be broken again until uh, I'm at the point where stock seats won't go back. Stock seats can't go back in to seat five is probably would probably be the position where it's ruined, which I've thought about pulling the back seat and doing a, you know, doing the four point roll bar back there. But for the moment, I've tabled it. Um, So, um. You know, so we'll see. Um, so I, uh, but you know, I thought it was kind of ruined after all the stuff I had done this past week. But even you know, I realized it yesterday that I had. Uh, I was talking to Seamus from TCS, and he was like, "Yeah, um, where are your shock settings at?" I'm like, "Well, I'm dead in the middle right now." I was like, "I wanted to start from there," and he's like, "No, no, 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 no. Take them down to nothing, and then come back up five clicks." And I was like, "Okay." okay. And I did that, and it made the it makes the suspension a little busier, like with uh, smaller stuff. Um, but uh, it's helping with it. It makes the car very, very tolerable. You can tell that there's okay. a, it feels a little underdamped um, with the springs around town. But it's but that's a I notice it. It's not an uncomfortable thing. It's just a it's a, there's a little bit more wallowing to it. I would say. When you hit a bump or something, you you can tell that it's it's taking a second longer to settle out. You know, it's taking just that little bit longer to settle out than it when it was at the higher the higher settings. I'll, and, um, I'll have to fo- I'll have to follow you on the road and see if you have that classic Honda boy bouncy thing going on that that we're all it, familiar with, where people talk about, "No, my car's great," and you follow them, and you're like, "No, that's crap." <laughs> so maybe a little bit of that now, but like when when I had it set in this dead center. 
No, not at all, actually. Okay. Um, I didn't feel that way at all. It didn't feel like anything was overly bouncy. Um, you know, the NVH is definitely picked up because, like, the rearview mirror is – it's there, but it's definitely vibrating um, as you go down the road more than it used to. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I also daily drive the car on uh, – I have it on the, the stock 14-inch steel wheels with wheel covers because the whole idea okay. for me is I want the car to, to fly under the radar. Um, I right. really want it to just be – well, I say fly under the radar. I just want it to be this bright blue Honda Fit covered in stickers, and everybody goes, what the heck is this kid doing? You know, I really want it to be fairly nondescript. Um, yeah, as, as somebody who drives an Accord, I'm with you. We're on the same We're on the same page with that. Yes. So I want the stickers to be shouty, not the engine, nothing else, although I am, uh, I am already in the process of – I got a – a new used muffler last weekend from the junkyard. It turned out we one of my exhaust hangers at some point had rusted off. I don't know when it happened, but I never noticed it last summer in all the time I was spending under the car. But when we were doing the the, uh, the shock install last weekend, I was under the rear bumper, and I'm like, wait a second. One of the exhaust hangers isn't attached. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we happened to go to the junkyard next day because um, – one of the, one of my, I managed to free one, but I couldn't free the other. But the lower shock bolts freeze inside of the sleeve in the right. shock in the bottom. Um, which, like, you saw that with Brian's car, and I saw it on, right. on the fit. You know, when these cars have seen salt, even though the threads on the trailing arm or the control arm are okay, it's that they, they, that bolt kind of seizes in that sleeve. So right. I managed to save one, couldn't save the other. So luckily there's like a dozen fits in the junkyard between Austin and San Antonio um, in the, you know, the ones that we were, that we commonly use. So my friends and right. I went down and pulled some parts and things. So, you know, so we got them from the junkyard. But yeah, I mean, it's slow, back to your original question, slow fit, the number one reason to do it is... Um, the motor's a sewing machine. As long as the transmission's and you know shifts pretty good through the five gears, you'll be all right. Um, my clutch has a hundred and like, and this is the one thing I learned to drive on this car, and I did some dumb stuff with it. But overall, I didn't burn the clutch up. I don't think too bad back when I learned, as I had spent some time driving manuals before I did more training on this car uh, at age seventeen. But um, my dad's been driving it for the past you know thirteen years. Um, and I actually borrowed the car for a summer in that time. Um, there's a summer, my first summer in Houston, I actually told, stole my parents' fit for 12 weeks. I was gone, and the car got 10,000 miles in 12 weeks. Um, That's impressive. That's well yeah, done. So, yeah, because that car, that fit went to the last space shuttle. I mean, I was in Houston, and that car went to Dallas twice, went to San Antonio for a weekend, and it went to the last space shuttle launch in Florida. We went to Florida and back in four days. And went to Disney World, you know, so. Fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I've put so what I've you, put four adults in that car. Anyway. What ev- what events are you planning? Do you know what your, your summer grid life type schedule is? Where you're going to be, where you're going to compete, that sort of thing? Yeah. So my current schedule is um, my current schedule is I'm driving up. So I'm here. So this coming weekend is the beginning of the madness. So uh, I'm headed to Beeville, Texas, for the Texas tour this coming weekend because um, we got a champ tour, a SECA solo champ tour set up, and we've got a I think it's half a million million square feet of concrete 
uh, All right. at the old... That's the same place uh, they do the Texas Mile, right? Correct. Yes, at the uh, municipal airport there in Beeville. So we're in. We're up in, I guess, what technically would be like the paddock area for the mile. Um, but okay. yeah, so we're going there. We're really excited. And I'm driving a, a 1989 LS swapped 240SX that has 275 Falcon RT660s at all four corners. So it's got that, a... That should be fun. <laughs> yeah, so I had a chance to drive it over the uh, over the weekend for a quick minute, um, and it didn't quite fit me right. So my buddy is like, "Okay, let me redo the seat mount real quick, and we'll we'll come over on Wednesday night and we'll do that." So tomorrow night I'm going over there, and we're going to make sure that uh, that it fits me a little bit better than it did over the weekend. But so I'm doing that, and then I'm home for a weekend, and then the f- middle of May I drive to Chicago, and then uh, and I'll be there for about three weeks. I'm doing track day picnic. We have a Memorial Day as a break, and then it's spring kickoff at Gingerman, which we hope to have you at. Um, right. And then uh, I fly back to Texas. I'm leaving the fit there, and I'm flying back to Texas because I live close enough to the airport that I can Uber home from the airport for cheap. And I'll leave the fit there for two weeks, two and a half weeks, and then I'm flying back um, the Thursday night before Autobahn. And then I'll do okay. Autobahn be in Chicago for a week and then drive back to Texas 4th of July weekend. Sounds like a completely reasonable summer to me. Sounds and then fine. I fly to Boston the weekend after that. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so good. I'm like, I'm on the move for like three straight months. And so I'm skipping because of that. I've got mid Ohio is a no Pikes Peaks, probably a no. I'm planning to probably fly back up and try and work. I won't plan to drive, but I plan to work at festival and then depending on how the summer goes and things, I may or may not come back up for two weeks around either side of Road America. Fantastic. So, so yeah, the, the people that don't know you in person, a lot of people have actually probably seen you working uh, grid at uh, grid life events. You're the guy in the past them in the past with... year. Yeah. Yeah. So if you see if you see a guy uh, working grid, uh, ask if it's Pete, and it's probably Pete. And then ask if you can ride in his fit, and he'll probably say yes. So it'll be good. Yeah. So. Um. Well, um. I think today is going to be a short show. Um. Basically, because we've got other stuff to do, and I have yeah. to fix all my broken motorcycles, and you have now, to be a grown up. Do, do, do remember we we've we haven't actually been recording for 30 minutes yet we've only done about 20 because we 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 started this a little this a little so you want to talk more what do you want to talk about pete what do you want to so tell me about how (laughs) so you we talked about motorcycle stuff with you um what how is it with training i'm curious to know more about what it's like with with your interactions with leela not Leela. Uh, oh, so my my old sorry. It's, it's okay. Uh, so I I race motorcycles with my the my younger daughter, um, Sonia, and it is. I was actually discussing that the other day with Scott uh, when we were when we were off recording, only because. So she's now been doing um, motorsports since she was uh, thirteen years old. As when she first started participating in motorcycle racing, just before she turned fourteen, and so we hang out a lot, like a lot, a lot. Anytime that you've got a parent and a kid that share a hobby, you spend way more time together than you would otherwise. But on top of that, she's going to be one of those people that came 
to motorsports through their parents rather than through their friends. And mm -hmm. when girls come to motorsports through their friends, there's, and I don't want to say this in a kind of sinning way, but it seems like 90% 90, 90 of the time, girls come to motorsports through their boyfriends mm -hmm. or their spouses. And there's always baggage that comes along with that. Because then it's like, oh, you've got your boyfriend's car or, oh, your boyfriend fixes stuff or, oh, there's that. And I've talked to a bunch of women with that. And in overcoming that to stand independently as a motorsports person, as a woman, is is always harder, be mostly because guys are jerks. Um, and and at least so my my oldest daughter, um, who's who's off away at college, actually autocrossed three times with me so she came to motorsports i don't know if she'll ever do motorsports again but she actually came to motorsports again with me and can stand on her own two feet as somebody who's done something and then my younger daughter um is her own motorsports person and has a confidence in that and an independence in that which is really really fun to see um mm -hmm. We, we just bought, um, because we blew up the, the endurance bike, we just bought, actually replaced that with a brand new motorcycle because the economics on it sort of made sense. And she's already decided on which break-in procedure she wants to follow. Um, she read through the owner's manual and she read through some stuff online and she's like, all right, so this is what we're going to do to make sure the bike is broken in. And so she's done her, you know, put a put a stopwatch on and did the amount of time of gentle riding she wanted to around the yard and the bike sitting in the garage and she may be out changing the oil right now um actually because i know she was going to do that this morning um but she can change the oil on the bike by herself she can safety wire the bike by herself um and she makes all of those decisions about the about the bike um with my input um because of course she's 15 and doesn't have a job so like if you want to buy an $800 shock that's you definitely need to talk to your dad about that but um yeah but she's it's, able it's to a, make, she's able to make an she's able to research and do the you know come to you with an informed decision and say hey dad this is what I think we should do and this is why we should do it right and and I think because of that it it gives her it gives her a level of independence and autonomy that she wouldn't necessarily get otherwise. Um, it's really hard when you're starting in motorsports if you just do things like with your buddies, right? Like you always have people telling you, ah, you should definitely do it this way. And especially in the in the age of the internet, everybody will tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so to, to figure out a way that you can have some of your own decision making, especially as a young woman, and figure out how to do these things um, is is neat. It, it's been a fun process as as a dad to watch her grow in her confidence, not only in riding. Um, you know, she she teaches people on a voluntary basis now. She'll go out and she's kind of the best one to follow to to be to show somebody lines at our local track. Um, her lines are are perfect. Um, for a low-powered motorcycle around that track, they're literally perfect. Um, well, she's got how many hundred thousand laps so far at that track? She's she's probably got somewhere between five and seven thousand laps around okay. that track. 
wow, that's more um, than I expected you to tell me. But I mean, it's yeah, and that and that goes back to what you know, like we talked about with you know Dave Whitener has talked about in the past, which is you know how many autocross runs were they doing in a year, and they were like we were doing you know thousands of autocross runs a year, and it right. blows people's minds, and it's like you know, uh, I heard uh, I heard somebody refer to. Uh, David Whitener's access to mineral wells as a competitive advantage. And I'm like, yeah. well, you know, what he would tell you, I mean, and there's certain, there's a certain degree of that, but, um, you know, he, he goes to the track these days to, to be, to learn more and do shock testing and things. So, but yeah, from an autocross standpoint, there's, there's no replacement to, to doing auto, you know, to autocrossing to get experience. And that's, I mean, that was how I went out and got better in that first year when you sold me the black civic so yeah and and there was there's also a degree of being able to learn things in a non-competitive environment um so like when we were out at mineral wells to to be able to to make a run and talk about what happened and then go apply it in in an environment where you're not like, okay, I only get three laps today or five laps today. And um, our access to the track on motorcycles has allowed us to do that sort of thing as well. Um, if you're yeah. if you're somebody who goes to the track, and, and this is an issue in, in cars too, um, you know, it's, if you're a fairly dedicated track person, you're going to get, what, five weekends a year? Like... That would be a pretty full schedule, right? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, but let's say you're, like, an avid, like, you don't have a membership, but you're going out, like, every month or every other month, that's still, that's, you know, that's no more than a dozen times. And even then, that would be extreme, going to a dozen weekends a year. That's a, you live in the South, and you're going every month, which is hundreds of dollars, just in entry fees per month. Right. Not including the tires, the brakes, the fuel, everything else that your car is going to go through. Um, right. And yeah, no, having having like the you know mineral wells rest its soul. I'm so sad we don't have that anymore. Um, but I know. Having mineral wells or a membership at somewhere like Crescent or um, you guys with Speed Sports. You know, I've looked at, you know, I've looked at, I live in San Antonio and I've actually looked at like a membership to like Crescent or something because it's actually a lot more affordable than you'd think. Um, it's not, you know, nothing. But when you look at it from a standpoint of um, if you ignore the, you know, the, the, the cost of entry, which I believe it's like three and a half or four thousand dollars to get in the door to become a member right. at Crescent, which from a, like, yeah, it's a lot of money, but you look at what we'll spend on car parts, like. That's, you know, a set of pimp shocks, maybe, um, right. you know, or some other, some other car mod. But then from there, you're like 100, 150 bucks a month of membership, and then it's 25 bucks a session. But the, the ability, if you live anywhere within DFW, of to be able to go to Crescent and just say, hey, I'm going to go take two sessions today. I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to go do two sessions this day. And be able to go down there, go do, go drive the car, and say, okay, I, I did this. This is what how it felt. Be able to make changes, and then go back out another session and go, okay, yeah, I'm good. That that is invaluable as opposed to you had to spend three hundred and fifty, five hundred dollars for the weekend, and I'm trying to you're trying to get the most you can out of the 
you know, those couple hours of track time you're going to get in the weekend. And you're getting maybe, what, 40 minutes to an hour between sessions? You know, right. maybe an hour and a half? And, you know, so, you know, and how much are you really going to be able to do for sitting down and talking about the car and going through it between sessions? I mean, track days are hectic. So. Yeah. Um, in in, in all honesty, I think we, we've talked a lot about about the pe- like fast the fast people that come up through karting and i think there's there's a bunch of reasons a bunch of reasons for that but i think the the fundamental main reason that people who come up through karting as kids aside from the fact that they start when they're young is the fact that they get to drive a lot like a lot a lot you get to drive a lot and test a lot and race a lot and way more than you you could ever even imagine if you come to cars like a lot of us did in our mid-20s or our 30s and you look at you look at you know somebody who spends that five or seven or ten weekends a year at the track and you think wow they've dedicated their life to this and they spend a bunch of time to it and then if you go hang out with cart people and you realize how much how many more laps they're getting how much more seat time they're getting starting at six, seven, eight years old, even if they start at 14 or 15 years old, um, you will, if you start in cars in your twenties or thirties, you will never catch up to those right. kids. Um, they've got more lap. Yeah. They've got more laps and more experience and, you know, all the cart kids now are running data. Um, and it's, it's pretty amazing. As much as I love cars, and you've asked me a couple times, you're like, when are you going to come back and do cars? It's it's so hard to walk away from a, from being able to... It takes me 11 minutes to get from my house to the car track. Yeah. And I can go run... The other day, we ran nine sessions on Sunday on the bikes. Yeah. And it was exhausting, but we ran over a hundred laps in one day um we swapped bikes with the other guys who were there we had a fantastic time and i can't it's very hard to think of a car equivalent to that sort of thing um there and and there generally isn't i mean just i mean especially when you start looking at the cost of the consumables and everything else i mean you you know if you guys if something all went to absolute hell and you guys total to Grom, you know, that's a couple grand max for the bike, maybe some more for shocks and mods, but there's a good chance you'd be able to probably, even if you wrecked the bike, there's a good chance you'd be able to salvage something from it and put it onto the next bike. Right. I mean, so, and then, you know, the tires and all of that, you know, you get miles and miles and miles out of them compared to autocross and track stuff and big cars. Um, right. You know, and that was, and that was, I mean, we talk about the, you know, going back to why pick the fit because it's easy on everything. It's easy on tires. It's easy on brakes and picking Sunday cup. We're forced into a, even if you choose to stagger your wheels, you are forced into a spec 205, you're into a sports into a spec 205 width. It's not a 15 inch diameter anymore. It's just a 205 width. Um, which I think is okay. great because you've got people like um, Bob who are running a 16, who who can run a 15, but the, I know his car will fit a 17, and it it honestly right. works a little bit better on a 17 per se, um, or a 16. And so having the ability to pick a 205 in any any size he wants um, is great for him. 
Um, and so it's a, you know, just those cheap consumables because if you're yeah, slow, it's, it, everything's cheaper. Yeah, it really comes down to removing removing another barrier to more laps. Like, right. how do I how do I arrange my life around achieving a billion laps? And right. I do think I do think Sunday Cup and I fifths and and all those related cars, Mazda twos and the little Kias like Bob has, I think make a tremendous amount of sense for trying to figure out how to get in a ton of laps at a ton of events reasonably for for normal people. Yeah. And and just I mean just talking about like trying to get laps. I mean, I so my focus for the past 12 months has been putting, you know, after after I got laid off and found another job again in the middle of COVID, you know, once I got that all settled, it was like, okay, I want to finally put together that sim rig because we're stuck at home and I'm like, all right, it's time. And so I started working on that um and then the Miata accident and me being in Chicago for a couple months paused that on bit, but I started putting it together last June, July, and started getting time in it in November, rode the struggle bus a bit getting started in iRacing and not understanding the mechanics of how how certain things worked with, you know, safety rating and other things. And But once I, once I got some coaching and help from friends, and they were like, no, no, this is what you need to do, this is this and this, and this will help you. And then I also uh, made some changes to some other stuff. Um, that got me going, and then now I have VR, and that has been just absolutely game-changing for me, getting comfortable, because, like, I'm not comfortable around other cars on track. I'm not. I haven't been. Now I'm trying yeah. to get a lot more comfortable around other cars. You know, that's not to say that I'm going to – I don't – you know, it's not to say that I don't watch the video like what uh, Andy Smedgard posted of the start from NCM when his car broke. I think that was, what, Saturday? And yeah. every car is tight. That's not to say that I necessarily want to get in and do that tomorrow because that's, you know, those are thirty five, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 race cars that everybody's put together time and money into. I'm not 100% <laughs> right. comfortable, like, to go and do that. But, like, going and hopping in the sim, I'm comfortable moving around other cars and I'm getting – I have a lot better sense than I used to of when I've got a car next to me and how to how I'm using my mirrors and also and just my visuals – looking around you know, that was a big thing going from just a single large monitor in front of me to having vr is being able to look over and see where a car is physically see right. where the car is next to me um which is a thing in road racing but it's even bigger with um i've started doing um the guys from um sim racing geek which is uh part of team heimland's racing they're in a set of course uh, um group of Assetto Corsa guys, they, um, and one of their fast guys is one of the guys who's won some of the grid life iRacer stuff. Um, okay. And, uh, which his name is now failing me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but the going and doing NASCAR stuff with them has really made me appreciate being around other cars and knowing what other cars are doing, um, and anticipating, um, and because that all everything to do with oval stuff is anticipation. You have to be right. anticipating what's going, you know, timing is, you know, we talk about, you know, timing for break, you know, you talk about timing, breaking points and other stuff on track. Um, but you're having, to, you know, you're anticipating side drafts and other stuff that that's been a totally new world, um, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. I did not get into iRacing to do anything with ovals. And that has become one of my favorite parts. 
Um, so my impression is that that that's sort of like leveling up from you remember when you're 15 and you're learning to learning to drive and you have to deal with car mechanics but you also have to deal with the fact that there's other cars around and stoplights and people pulling out of parking lots and for that first couple months there's a tremendous amount going on yep and in my impression uh, my impression has always been, and when I when I moved from HPDE to to TT, that was kind of the same thing. Is you have to be able to sort of get to the point where all of those things that are initially overwhelming um, become just sort of part of what you do, and and you're still paying attention to them, and you're still doing all that stuff, but it lets you get back to focusing on driving because you already know someone's coming up behind you. And you already know, you know, if someone's in the gravel and you the watching the flags is automatic. And so all of those things become just part of your routine so that you can get back to driving. Um, because yeah. if you have to focus on driving and focus attention on all of those other things, you don't have enough attention to do that. It's interesting that you say that that sim driving is helping you with this. Have you have you been on track in the fit since you've been doing a ton of sim driving? No, going that's and I'm not and I don't know I don't know that sim racing is going to make me faster on track, but it certainly made me a lot more aware of where other cars are and what they're doing. Um, my favorite okay. my favorite road racing in sim racing is um, this group uh, in I'm only in I think I'm on C class now license fairly lower license and my favorite group to run with is um, this sim lab which is um, Miatas the the diesel Jetta TDIs. Um, and then the Mustang FR500s, and then I guess technically there's a Solstice in there too, but nobody runs it. And so occasionally you're dealing with the Mustangs coming as traffic, um, but a lot of the time you're running around traffic that's similar pace to you. Um, I had an incident, this was the first, I mean, I've had a couple of times where I've been able to battle with somebody, I actually had a, almost did almost a full lap of, was that uh, Olton Park? Um, and I was side by side with a person fighting for the lead for almost a full lap of the track and we were next we were literally next to each other and fantastic i'm i'm trying to anticipate where he's at and figuring out what he's doing and at one point uh i had an i outbraked him for a corner and i in theory looking watching the replay i was able to see that yes i had the space to move over um and but i did not um, but I did not, uh, I didn't, I didn't take the inside line away from him. And so it, you know, so we came in the next corner and I was on the, I was on a worse line than him. And so he got, got back in front of me, but being able to run side by side with him was critical for me. Cause I was able to, you know, know approximately where he was and, you know, I'm running and running some curbing and the car got loose on me once and we were we were a little further apart than I thought, which was good because that's part of why I hit a curb and I bounced about a foot uh, over toward him, and then it ended up being all right. But um, I'm curious to see how I f how going to Blackhawk feels now that I've done more because that's something you have because with without VR, it's hard to look ahead. I'm dealing with what I can see in the peripheral right. view of the you know because I was starting I was running basically a 120 degree field of vision on a 42 inch TV that was sitting about right. four feet in front of me four or five feet in front of me and um 
somebody was like, man, that's so weird. I'm like, yeah, it's not ideal, but it's it gives me enough information that I can drive. But then going to VR, where I have a much narrower field of vision, but I can turn my head and legitimately look at mirrors. And um, and so, like, I'm also using – so with iRacing, you get – you can turn the side mirrors on. You have the vehicle's rearview mirror, and then iRacing also has a built-in rearview mirror that's got a, a wider field of view to it. And so for me, the primary things I'm using are the two rearview mirrors, the cars and then also iRacing's one. And, um, but the ability to be able to look up and see what's going on, because you've also got a little ticker in the bottom, right. That's telling you relative time wise where you are to people. Um, okay. Um, and then you also, I also have, you know, the crew chief in my ear, uh, who's telling me you're, you're gaining, you're losing, you were slower this lap. You did, you, you, you're, you were slower this much in the first sector. Um, who's constantly in my ear talking. I have, I have my Becky, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, in the ear talking, and uh, although I use a, it's a for me I can't remember what what the name of the voice is, but I use a a male voice for the crew chief, and then and when I do the NASCAR stuff, I actually have a female spotter, so I can differentiate the two voices, and so I oh, can okay. know when she's talking to me, it's about a car around me, and when I'm just right when I'm or versus when the when I'm hearing uh, the guy talk to me, I can hear it's a mechanical there's something mechanically going on or you know something something to that degree. Um, Right. And but yeah, so it has reinforced looking ahead. Um, it has also reinforced the idea of especially with stuff like, uh, you know, you're coming up the hill for road Atlanta. You can't see everything because you're dealing with elevation right. and other stuff. So there's a you have to set you have to pick your points and your marks and you go from one thing to the next. Um, right. There's stuff that's blind. Um so Ed, that's been interesting. Um, one thing I will need to well, continue I mean, to work on is flag stations because there's a couple of flag stations in iRacing, but a lot of it is I'm getting information in this main screen in my field of view. So okay. I, I understand why those automated systems in the car are really starting to pick up in value because I already see that that is a, as a plus sign, that if there would be a box right. in my car that goes yellow, 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 yellow. Um but I still want I so that's working on flag stations and looking at flag stations is going to be my it's my, going into track depicting that's my number one thing I need to continue to work on because it's something I've okay. been continually working on because going out and driving at mineral wells we didn't have flag stations we were always just looking at where the other car was occasionally out there with those couple hundred right. you know with those hundreds of laps we did out there um, but you know so but I definitely no. I missed the checkered ones last year at Crescent. So I was like, crud. So yeah, you know, so I know it's I know it's something I've got to keep working on. So. And Blackhawk will be interesting. Um, you've never driven Blackhawk, right? I have not. I've just walked it with you guys when we went there with one lap in 2019. Yeah, it's it's different. I think it's going to be quite a bit different than other tracks you've driven. It's you know it's narrow. It is, and in general, you've got. And I guess a lot of tracks are like this, but you've got. You know, you go right from pavement to grass, and there's not, yeah. in as Andy Hollis found out, the grass, a lot of the grass is awfully slippery. So you yeah. you knock wheels off, and, you know, you're going for a ride. So, and also there's the trees. Like, some of the yeah. things that makes it, make it beautiful is the fact that you're, you're you know, part of, the, part of the track drives through a grove of trees. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful and wonderful and terrifying. 
<laughs> to drive exactly. through that section if you know if you really get a feel for what you're doing and there's some big curbs um that are definitely fit eater size curbs if you were to hit them hard and yeah there's it'll be interesting to talk to you after that because there's a lot of things about blackhawk um that are different, like certainly a lot different than Crescent or, uh, you know, MSR Houston or some of those other like big, more modern tracks. Uh, Blackhawk's an old, old school style track. Um, like you yeah. can imagine old, you know, MGTCs racing around it. It's not that old, but you can imagine that, that that's the style track that it is. So. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm excited, but yeah, I know there's definitely a little bit of, um, I'm excited to go there, especially with track day picnic, where it's going to be a much more low key, kind of a chill weekend. Plus I'm just excited for that because I already love the vibe of grid life weekends, but right. to be able to go to the one that's the chill weekend, especially because, and this is the beauty of, you know, having grown up in the greater Chicago area, you know, where my parents are and they're letting me use their house for a couple weeks at a time as my remote racing headquarters um, with my new work from home status. You know, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal capability to be able to go up there, work from home, you know, in a room in their house um, and then be able to be there 90 minutes from Blackhawk. They're two and a quarter hours from Gingerman. They're two and a half hours from Road America. They're 45 minutes from Autobahn. They're in the middle of everything, which is the right. only reason why I'm able to being able to make these track weekends work. Um, because I'm still trying to save. We're still thinking about one lap 2022. So I'm still having to save the possible 10 to 14 days of vacation I'm going to need for that. So, right. you know, so I'm still thinking about keeping all that in the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, it's it's so wild. Um, I'm excited for for Blackhawk, but it yes, there's definitely the intimidation of it's pavement grass tree in that order at that speed. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you don't. There's definitely parts of that track where if you make a big enough mistake, you don't get a chance to correct it. Um, nope. You're just yeah, like not. things are just going to happen. So, and I, I, it's like that at, at any track. I'm still intimidated by NCM for that reason. There's so many places where, you know, leaving the surface means kissing the Armco. Um, and, and there's really not like it's just close enough that you don't really get an option. You're off and you smack metal. Um, and that scares the crap out of me. So, yeah. Um, that's why I send everybody to Crescent as their first track because I think you can make mistakes at Crescent and just be Which off in the Texas dirt. Yep, and I did that, and I went off. You know, I I made mistakes at Crescent, and yes, that's it's a phenomenal thing. You know, there is um, if you don't get back to Little Bend fast enough, if you go off and you don't get back fast enough, there is a drain grate hiding out between in the middle of Little Bend and Big Bend. Fun fact. Um, oh yeah, I could I can imagine that being there. I don't so, know why I ever would hit it. But. <laughs> I don't know why you would either, but it's something I, you know. I when I screwed up a breaking point for Little Bend in the focus in the focus in 2018, um, I kind of you know I went off straight and then kind of was slowly waking my way back. And Whitener was was on me. He was like, "You needed to come back much much faster." He's like, "You did see the drain grade out there." I'm like, "I did," and we were in control, and I wasn't worried about hitting it, but. It was out there still, so. Right. Um, well, hey, I need to put this on pause for right now, but if you want to, I can pause all my recordings right now, and if you want... This is actually a good time. This, this is actually up. a good... 
this is a good time for us to end the the podcast, actually, Pete, because I got other stuff that I got to do. Um, so I think we made a show. I think we talked about I a whole bunch of too. stuff. And um, uh, I can do the outro here. Um, look at us on social media stuff, etc., etc. Pete, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I want to thank Taylor Chassis Solutions for my cons- consistent bothering over the past couple of months since I ordered and they've gotten the shocks installed. Um, and just thanks to all the Sunday Cup guys and the Grid Life crew who have gotten me on track in the past 12 months because without support of Adam Jabay, Chris Stewart, um, James Morgan, Scott Robertson, and Becky, without support of everybody, um, I wouldn't be getting to do the track stuff that I'm doing. So thank you to everybody and Carson, my other the – the chief of Grid. So thank you to everybody. Cool. So – Everybody say hi to Pete when you go to events uh, this summer because he's going to be everywhere. So uh, that was another episode. So for track walking, I'm Seth. And I'm Pete. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks. Thanks.